Welcome to yet another episode of the Renactors Corner. In this episode, we're going to explore different ways to improve your impression that is low cost. And maybe some will cost a little bit, but there's no big money involved here. Just like easy ways to improve your impression. And also we have a few exciting uh, news for you, so stand by. Hey guys, this is Chris here again with Lassa for another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. How are you doing today, Lassa? I'm doing so fine. It's so good to be talking to you again, basically. Yeah, it's been a little while <laughs> since the last time we recorded an episode. Um, so I'm glad we were able to uh, get together and, and get something else uh, down today. Uh, I'm excited about our topic today. We are going to be talking about zero cost or in some cases extremely low cost ways that you can improve your reenactment impression. So things that you can do to maybe be a little bit of a better reenactor or have a little bit better of a kit without spending any money or, or spending only like a tiny amount of money. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, we have some great announcements to make. And Lassa, I will let you go ahead with those. All right. Well, the first announcement is that we have a few new patrons. So the new patrons are Stian, Doug, and Stacy. Thank you very much, yeah. you guys, for your support. It is highly appreciated. As to all of the patrons, um, you help the show run. And yeah. Also, it's extremely motivating for us. You know what I mean? Like when we know that there are people who actually. Um, enjoy the podcast and care enough about it and are in a position to support it it definitely makes makes us like more focused on getting these podcast episodes out exactly and i need that kind of motivation sometimes because i'm lazy <laughs> you're lazy and unmotivated <laughs> i need i need motivation i'm i'm hard time focusing <laughs> Uh, the other very exciting news is that uh, a uh, great reenactment uh, place has come out to us with a, a discount code for all of our listeners. This is Fela Kopf, which makes a lot of uh, paperwork uh, reproduction stuff. Uh, do you have some examples on what it makes, Chris? Fela Kopf makes a lot of stuff now. Um, I've bought a lot of stuff from them. Um in addition to the paperwork stuff that they make, like board games and um, all kinds of, you know, reproduction kind of personal item type stuff, uh, razor packaging for razors, toiletries and, and hygiene stuff like that. Um, they also now have started to offer a lot of like custom leather stuff. So they've got like equipment items as well now. Um, Something that I use from them at almost every event that I go to is my Esbit stove, which is like a little um, kind of a product that they came out with where it's a post-war Czech military issue Esbit stove, a little folding stove for soldiers, which is very similar to the World War II German stove. And they have made for it all the packaging. So there's... Um, heat tablets that go inside and there's packaging for those and then the stove itself goes into a uh, a package that they made i think it's really a cool a cool thing that i enjoy using and they're introducing new products all the time yeah his web store is quite extensive to be honest and uh, the guy who runs it he wants to share a discount code for all of our listeners which is podcast 2020 yeah, the code is PODCAST2020, and that will get you 7% off uh, everything on the website until the end of the year, um, which is really generous of him. We're grateful for that. And then uh, next year, we'll come up with a new code or something like that. So, um, Yeah. But definitely, yeah, if you want to check out their, their website, and 7% uh, is, is a pretty good discount, especially if you're buying a bunch of stuff, so... Exactly, so go and buy stuff from him. And before we dive into this um, this week's topic, I would just like to say that I did listen to the Halloween special. And 
I mean, the episode was okay, but at the start you said I was too scared to join. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, I've got to assume that it was just too frightening for you. Well, I mean, the dark is scary, but listening to your stories about a dude on an ATV, it wasn't really that (laughs) scary, Chris. All right, well... I don't know. Maybe you thought it was going to be scarier than it was, you know, but I'm glad that you did listen to it, Lessa. <laughs> no, it was really good. The ATV story had me laughing uh, very loud. Cool. Yeah, that was a kind of a weird uh, one-off episode that um, Vili and Ben and I decided to do kind of spontaneously. We were hanging out in the woods here in the town where I live at night, just doing some like, I don't know, we were cooking some food over a fire or something, and we were talking about some of that stuff and uh, and came up with the idea, hey, let's go record this real quick. So I'm, I'm glad that it worked out. It was fun to do. And next year, we're going to have to do like a, a horror stories of reenacting three Halloween special. We'll like plan it in advance and make it a regular scheduled one, I think. Maybe bring in some special guests too. I definitely have other people who have been asking me if they could come on and tell stories about stuff that happened to them. So, um, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it a special thing. Yeah. We should do a Christmas episode, too. We can talk about that later. Make some kind of Christmas episode plan. I don't know what exactly that would be. Where I open a present from you? Well, sure. We could do a trade. We could do a gift exchange. Um, Anyway. You have a few typewriters to spare. I bought another typewriter this week, Lassa. <laughs> it's oh not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. I like how you I don't know, say I, that you buy one. I just like it's not good. No, I mean the typewriter is good, but I, I might. I actually, in 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 reality, and I, I probably shouldn't even say this because I don't want people to to get really excited, but I probably will be selling some typewriters because I just do have, I have too many and, uh, you know, I really <laughs> don't need all of these typewriters. Uh, especially since I started buying sewing machines last month, these are even bigger, <laughs> even bigger than typewriters. Oh my God. I actually saw a Remington typewriter used as a garden ornament here the other day. It was rusted and in horrible shape. It's too bad. Those are really good typewriters, and um, I have a picture somewhere of Wehrmacht soldiers typing on a Remington typewriter. But uh, yeah, there's the thing. Something that typewriters and sewing machines have in common is that there's probably more of them out there now than there are people who want them. You know, especially the big typewriters. You know, um, and so they are common, and they are they are inexpensive, and there's still a lot of them getting. Uh, thrown into junkyards and thrown into the dump every year. Sadly. Sadly. I mean, I can only save, I can only do so much here. You know, I can't save everything. The, the like, industrial history of the 20th century cannot be, like, entirely on my shoulders. Other people have to step up and start hoarding this stuff also. Yeah. Um, but... We should uh, we should jump into this episode because we made kind of a list and there's a bunch of stuff on it and uh, I want to make sure that we uh, can get through all of this stuff. Clocks a ticking. I'm sure that our listeners already have maybe their own like great ideas about um, zero value things that you can do to enhance your impression because there's so very many. But um, I just want to go over some that we came up with, um, kind of like. Lassa and my ideas about it. And if you want, you can always, uh, I don't know, comment on our Facebook page, right? When we announce the episode with your own ideas for, uh, this, you know, the stuff that we missed. Yeah, that would be cool. So for the stuff that I was thinking of, I guess the number one thing when I'm thinking, what can I do that doesn't cost any money or that costs almost no money to, um, kind of improve my impression is just to, like take care of and maintain my equipment and uniforms, you know, my gear. I know we've talked about this on this podcast before, but I think that uh, especially like leather gear, boots and, you know, your belt and 
pouches and even the small bits of leather like on the bread bag or the canteen those just look so much better when they've been really well taken care of with oil or leather fat worked in uh, polished black not it doesn't look brand new it just looks like something that has been in use and that has been used and that somebody has put some effort into making it look nice and helping extend its lifespan so that's something that I kind of think of right off the bat um, when it's like I should I should do something reenactment related work on something it's like I'm gonna maybe polish my boots again or um, you know put um, leather grease on the straps of my tornister or something like that yeah um just using some well any leather treatment stuff just really uh takes away the newness of stuff but it also makes it look worn but in a good way so to say absolutely also you know when just look at your kit after an event if you haven't looked at your kit in a while or if maybe you did a reenactment and you put your stuff away um Go through it. Go through and look at each item and think, okay, is this something that I should clean? Is this a steel item that could rust that I should put some oil on? Um, maybe there are some small wear holes in your uniform or a little snag in the fabric from you know, running into some thorns or something, and you can fix that, sew it closed before it becomes a bigger damage that's going to be more difficult to repair. I think there's almost always something that you can do with your kit without buying anything to just, you know, tweak it, take care of it, improve it a little bit, maintain it, or whatever it's going to be. It's, e it's as easy as that. Maintain your gear. We did an event here last weekend so now you know 10 days ago or whatever and um i got i was sitting in my car about to go to work yesterday and i got a message from a guy casey in my group uh and he was saying you know i haven't even the only thing i've done since the event with my gear has been to clean my mess kit and i saw that message and i immediately put my phone down and went into my went into my house and I washed my mess kit that I had used 10 days before and hadn't uh, cleaned. So that was a good like reminder for me to do that. Well, I still remember in Belgium cleaning out my mess kit um, prior to the event, three months after the last event. Right. That, that could have happened to me because I'm not sure when the next time I'm going to use that mess kit is. And it was a brand new to me mess kit that I was using for the very first time. And at the next event that I would be doing, I might go back to using the, the mess kit that I've been using. So that could have certainly been in there for a month. So I'm grateful you know, to Casey for reminding me to clean that thing. <laughs> clean mess kits is the most important thing in a reenactment kit. Well... You know, I think we talked about this on a previous episode long ago, but there was a guy in my group who left a block of cheese in his gas mask canister oh, and then yes. stopped stopped reenacting for like, ah. you know, and he, he didn't look into ah. it for like 12 years. So uh, anyway, yeah, look, go go through your kit and try to find food and get it out of there. That's, a, that's something that you can do. <laughs> that's a free thing to do. Another thing that I was thinking about um, that's kind of a thing that you can do to improve your impression is just to plan something with guys in your reenactment group. And that something could be a photo shoot. It could be um, getting together to um, like, you know, work on maintaining your gear together or pack rations together, or it could be uh, even just a kind of a casual hangout. But if you can get together in person um with people in your reenactment group, then you can brainstorm together. And, you know, as we say, uh, two heads are better than one, right? So a group of people talking about reenacting and, and doing reenactments together is going to be able to come up with maybe more and better ideas more quickly than, um, than you are on your own, or even um, better and more quickly than trying to talk about stuff on the internet, um, like online chit-chat. It's so much better if you can get together in person, come up with ideas together and plan stuff together. And, um, you know, and if you can get together in uniform with guys in your group, even if it's not really an event and you can practice rifle drill, for example, that's a skill that is, I think it's really important. And it's not something that you can do 
really by yourself. It's something that needs to be practiced together as a team. So uh, stuff like that, you know, even if it's just like in someone's backyard, right? And you can just practice some, some skills together. Um, I think that that's really valuable and can, can have a lot more impact on your overall impression at events than like worrying about buying a, a better hat in most cases, for example. I I agree. Uh, and just getting together with guys in your unit or not even in your unit, but other fellow reenactors and just talk about the hobby. It's amazing what ideas can suddenly spark. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. I mean, it's like, um, it's obviously, you know, this is kind of outside the scope of what we're talking about, but it's just good to get to know the people in your reenactment group because, um, I think there's some realism in that too, right? Like a lot of times, um, guys who were in the army, I mean, you are living with those people every single day, the people in your unit, in your company. And it doesn't take very long to get to know someone pretty well, I think, in, in a situation like that. So I think there's some, some realism into just kind of knowing who these people are and, and what they're into and then um, kind of you know, extrapolating that out to their like World War II alter ego. Yeah. Another idea that I had that was like a free way to improve your impression is just to look at original photos online. I'm a big advocate of looking at books. I think there are a lot of great books to read. There's books of photos that are worth going over. Um, and I think we've talked about the, some of those books before. But, you know, you can just go online and see probably, you know, thousands, if not millions of photos that you might never have seen before. And you might, um, by studying those photos, be, come to the conclusion, okay, well, I thought that this particular thing was common, but I'm not seeing that in photographs at all. Or, you know, I wouldn't have thought that they would have done things this way, but looking at these photos, I see tons of photos of them, you know, doing whatever it is. Um, one thing that one incredible resource, believe it or not, that people might not think of for photos is actually eBay and especially the German eBay, eBay.de. Um, you know, if oh, you, certainly, yeah. I mean, it's just that there's, there's, there's absolutely thousands of like private soldier photos for sale on there. Um, at any time, Never mind if, if you look at the completed auctions, right, you can see the listings of items that sold over the past month or something in addition to whatever is there now. So there's there's just thousands and thousands of photos and you can put in, you know, whatever you want for a search code, right? Because the seller of the photo has to describe it as something so that people will find it. So if you want to type in photo, you know, MG34, right? Or photo um, Zelt, Zeltbahn or, you know, Zeltin or Zelt or, you know, whatever it is, whether you want to look at pictures of soldiers in barracks, soldiers with trains, soldiers with trucks, like, you, you know, you name it, just whatever you can think of, or, or just just scroll through the category and you just look at all the portraits. And there's, like I say, there's thousands and thousands of them. And, uh, you know, that's not to say try to find some weird... Uh, random unattributed photo that shows some strange uniform and insignia combination or some strange practice and do that but just um, you know people people will ask sometimes well how common was it for example for, let's say how common was it for a soldier to have a metal cap eagle that was intended for a visor cap on his field cap and it's like that's a really hard question to answer, right? Because there's no data about this. I can't tell you that 0.7% um, of, of soldiers did this in any given month or year. But if you look at um, private photos taken by soldiers, you can kind of get a sense on your own of, okay, this is something, I see this happening over and over. This must have been a relatively common and widespread practice versus, you know, well, I looked, I've looked at thousands of photographs and I've never seen that. So it, it must have been relatively uncommon or probably was relatively uncommon. Yeah. To backtrack a little bit on your uh, eBay stuff is that uh, a problem is that many of the German sellers or any sellers will buy full albums that covers the complete service life of a soldier and then just take out pictures and just sell them individually. Yeah, that's really depressing. And, uh, 
you know, I've had myself some unpleasant experiences where I bought um, photos online and then I got them together with like stripped photo album pages that were thrown in there as packaging, you know, and realized, wow, all of this stuff came from uh, intact wartime albums that were dismantled just for the to get a few more dollars out of it. It's very depressing. Um, and look, photos, you know, I, I like to buy original World War II stuff. I don't think that that's something that people like need to do to be a good reenactor. I think you can be a great reenactor without owning any like original collectible type stuff. So, um, you know, understand that you don't have to actually buy the photos, right? You can, you can just look at the scans and a lot of the scans that are on eBay, they'll have watermarks or something, but those watermarks don't like obliterate. You can still see what's in the picture. Um, and you can still learn from looking at a watermarked photograph probably just as well as you can from holding the original photograph in your hands. Um, so, yeah, yeah, totally. you know, I think people could just look at that as, as a vector for, for learning. And there are other websites too. There are lots of different, uh, places online where there are photographs of World War II, right? Another and, uh, thing that works well with just looking at photos is looking at photos you already know of, for example, the unit you portray or something like that and just really, really look at it and look at all these weird details on it because it's weird how many things you, you, you think you've seen the photo but you haven't really and you'll, you'll find new details all the time. I totally agree because a lot of times you don't, you might not even know what something is specifically and you'll see it in a photo and you'll think, oh, that's just a weird box or it doesn't even register. That's a box. That's a sweater because you don't know what's really special about it. But as you learn more about equipment and uniforms and what was used, then you can look at those photos that you've seen before and been like, oh, wow, all of these guys are wearing this particular variant of thing that I, you know, I recently learned about or or whatever it is. I mean, I it's it's funny. We had this conversation recently, uh, not that long ago, in my reenactment group about, you know, well, what are the chances of soldiers being issued this particular variant of sweater at this particular time? And then going back and looking at, like, the photos on our own website, photos that I scanned and put on our website, there were, like, several photos that showed this exact object in use. Exactly. Um, and I think, there's so many photos I I think I know very well, but when I look at them, it's like, how can I never have seen that before? Like that weird little detail. It was it happened recently on um, in the uh, propaganda reenactment scene uh, where uh, someone posted a photo of a guy wearing a propaganda company cuff title, and then everyone was like, hold on. There's something wrong with that cuff title. And we zoomed in, and it turns out that when the guy sewed down the cuff title to his uh, cuff, I basically, he folded it so it didn't say propaganda company, but it says prop company. Wow. And it's like, how can we never have seen that before? That's cool. It's such a weird detail, too. Like, why would you do it? To have it shorter? I don't know. I just never, why? <laughs> yeah, that is really weird. Um, I guess in addition to looking at original photos online, um, another source of information that I sometimes have turned to has been documentaries online, uh, which are free on YouTube. There's tons and tons of World War II documentaries. Um, there's a lot of like German and Russian language stuff that... Maybe it has subtitles, you know, maybe it doesn't, but there's lots and lots and lots of stuff in English or probably in like every language at this point. I mean, there's just so much, um, whether it's feature length documentaries that are an hour long or just clips from, from news reports or whatever there's, there's, I mean, it, it, I can't stress enough how much there is on, uh, YouTube and how much information that there is, you know, also on other, um, platforms where people share videos, um, where you can see interviews with, uh, German soldiers, you know, like, um, veterans talking about their memories of world war II. There's, there's just a ton of it out there. And, uh, and some of it's really interesting. And especially now, look, 
I think everybody, you know, I'll just say this kind of as a disclaimer. Obviously, doing real research with um, period, you know, primary sources and like academic books, that's always going to trump something that you might see on YouTube that might be sensationalized, it might be poorly researched or just bad information. Um, so you got to take that stuff with a grain of salt. But there are definitely, um, you know, there are, there are primary sources that you can find on YouTube still, I think. There's some training films that you can watch and Wachenschau newsreels. I don't think they're all, uh, I don't think they've all been removed from, from YouTube. So, um, you know, you, you definitely have to be aware of, of what you're watching in terms of the value of the information. But uh, there's, there's valuable information to be found there for sure. Exactly. I actually have, I have put some stuff, I have used YouTube to put some stuff online myself. There is a, um, I found a, a song that I couldn't find the melody to, uh, Lied der Landeschützen. And I actually got a, an app on my phone that can play music if you take a photograph of like sheet music. And I have a wartime songbook that includes this song and that has the sheet music, the notes. And so I was able to um, create the melody and have somebody who has a uh, much better German accent than I do sing it. Um, and, I, and I put that on YouTube. And as far as I know, that's like the only place where you can hear that song. Um, that's just one example of something that... Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And there's a... Landeschutzen's, you know, speaking of Landeschutzen, there's a Landeschutzen training uh, film that was shown... It's not really a training film, I don't think it's... I think it's a... It is a private, like, film made by somebody in a Landeschutzen unit in the Netherlands um, that shows aspects of their training. And it's such an interesting source for me. It has been a real help in, you know, I've, I've actually taken stuff from this film and used it to inform events that we have done. And, uh, you know, like I say, that's just one example. There's tons of that kind of stuff. Another idea that I had was um, people could just reach out to other people who might be able to offer help with some aspect of the impression. Um, so basically, you know, I know, I, I think most people will probably fall in this category. There are things about my impression that I am very solid on. And there are other aspects of my impression that are like weaker for me. You know, there's stuff that I have researched a ton and that I, you know, am kind of my own sort of subject matter quasi expert on. And then there's other stuff that pertains to my impression that I haven't done as much research on. I know that my knowledge of this stuff is kind of shaky. And um, I think it's always good to try to do your own research. But sometimes you just need a little bit of help. You need a little bit of guidance of somebody to say, okay, this is the book that you need to read, you know, or, okay, um, you know, this information is bad. Um, here's how it really was. You know, here's a real source. Here's a better source. And so, you know, maybe you can think about your own impression and think about some areas where you could improve. And, you know, you might have already in mind somebody that you know of, whether it's somebody from social media or someone from your unit or a friend or whatever, and think, you know what, this guy would be able to give me a couple of pointers that would put me on the right track. And I think, um, you know, I have asked a lot of people a lot of questions over the years, and I've never had somebody say, um, you know what, you're annoying, and why did you come to me with this, and um, that's stupid, and go away. People, I find, are usually to help, usually happy to help, and I've had a lot of people message me with questions about stuff that they know that I'm into, that I research, and they want some pointers about that, and I'm happy to help them. So, um, look, it's a World War II German reenacting, especially World War II German reenacting, really is a um, it's a hobby community, and the people that are in it have, for the most part, some kind of interest in helping other people out so that the community as a whole can be good, right? Be better, even. Um, so don't hesitate to, uh, to take the time to reach out to people who you think might be able to, to help you. Just don't be annoying about it. <laughs> yeah. I also like a common thing 
in my unit for people to ask help with is uh, fixing leather gear. And I mean, if you know someone in your unit or someone who does leather sewing and stuff, you can just ask and quite possibly the person will even try to learn you as well. Sure. Something I think about, you know, people will say, um, does this fit right? You know, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Does my helmet fit right? Do I need to adjust the drawstring in my helmet so that it sits higher or lower on my head? Or am I wearing it right? You know, there's so many tiny little details that go into all of this stuff. Stuff that people in World War II probably didn't really have to think about or didn't care about. But that if you want to portray a World War II German soldier, you've got to really think about these tiny details. That's... The reality is, is that the difference between a stellar impression and a and the mediocre impression, oftentimes it just comes down to small details. You know, is this the right insignia? You know, I bought this insignia because a vendor told me that it was good for this, but is this correct? You know, and and but yeah, like that kind of stuff. There's always there's always 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 something to learn, and a lot of the time there's someone else who maybe is someone that you know, maybe is someone in your unit, who is basically like an expert on this specific thing, you know, and you can get good information that way and you don't have to pay for it. One of the things that maybe I should do to improve my impression that wouldn't cost me anything would be to get rid of stuff that I don't need. I think we'd been talking about that before, Chris. Yeah, that's kind of a common thing. (laughs) So thinking about... I guess we shouldn't make this about me, right? Because I don't want to talk about my own uh, mental problems, but uh, rather... (laughs) Okay, here's a a thing that I've been saying for a long time that I'm kind of big on this, is that like less is more a lot of the times. I think especially for a field impression or a camp, people who bring too much stuff, um, it makes it less realistic. People who have a bread bag even that's like absolutely crammed full with all different types of food packaging and uh, personal items. And, you know, a lot of times it's like the chances of a soldier carrying all of this stuff around every day maybe is like zero. Or how long would this item really last in the pocket of a soldier living on the ground in the field? You know, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have this for very long. Um, Or just like, Another thing I think we might have touched on before is that if you wear a different uniform to every single reenactment that you go to, none of those uniforms are ever going to get the type of real wear and tear from from hard use that is typical of uh, World War II field uniforms, you know, and that makes uniforms look more realistic. Maybe if you had just one uniform that you wore to most of the events that you do, that uniform would, would get broken in faster. It would look more realistic more quickly. You know, even whether you artificially age it or not, there's no real substitute for, uh, for using your stuff. And I think sometimes just, you know, kind of making sure that you're, that, you know, you're using the core items of your kit that, um, your basic impression is, you know, kind of standardized, ready to go. And these are the things that make up the, the bulk of the important part of my kit. And, um, and these other items that I wear sometimes or that I have, you know, maybe just get rid of those things and uh, you'll find that you are happier with how your impression looks on you. Yeah. I mean, there's always the classic person coming with a huge truck offloading everything he has on the bed and all of that is just for him right i mean to me that just doesn't come off as realistic you know guys showing up at the event and they've got their boots and then they've got a spare pair of boots and then they also have a pair of winter boots in case it gets cold at night you know it's like this is too much this is not how it was and a cooler and a cooler and furniture. I mean, these are things that I think um, probably by now some people are probably bored with me talking about. But yeah, the, <laughs> the reality of life. Um, you know, a, a German veteran told me once, he said, uh, he said the German soldiers were poor fellows. You know, they didn't have a lot. They lived a Spartan lifestyle in the field. You know, the army gave you what you needed each day. And you had your uniform and your equipment that you carried and wore on your back. 
And that was like it. You know, that was, that was your life. Day in and day out for most people. Um, and I think sometimes if we're... Look, if, you're, if your impression is of a uh, Waffenmeister in a German barracks, and then maybe you have to show up at an event with a tractor trailer so that you can fill a room in a barracks with all of the parts and tools and weapons that would have been in a Waffenkammer in a German barracks setting. But if you're in a field setting, you know, maybe you could leave the tractor trailer at home. You know, unless you've, like, I know some people... Uh, show up with a tractor trailer of stuff and it's for their whole unit, right? They've brought all the tents. They've brought all of the cooking stuff. They've brought all of the, you know, everything that is required to make the event run. And that's, that's something I definitely respect and relate to on some level. Um, but if it's all for you, you know, you don't, you don't need that much stuff just for yourself. The next thing I had put on the list was to learn some German language using a free app or something like that, you know, uh, I'm sure there are tons of free ways to learn, maybe not to like fluently learn a language. I mean, I, I think there's no substitute for taking a class and um, actually having structured learning with somebody who is teaching you, who can answer your questions, who can identify when you're making a mistake. But that's that can be expensive. Um, but a free way would be to to download an app on your phone. I know there's a bunch. Uh, that you can get, I, and it's free at least the, to start, right, the initial levels, and just learn some words. That's such an important part to me of an impression and reenacting in general. And, uh, you know, it's not something that you have to spend a lot of money to get started with. Exactly. And, I mean, you are portraying a German soldier, so why not learn some German? And, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but the more German you learn the easier it is to get information. Um, it just every step forward that you take in German proficiency opens up a few more doors of sources that you can draw on or just search terms that you can search even for images online, you know what I mean, without having to resort to a dictionary. It's just so helpful. The next thing I had put on the list is like a really small detail um, and it's basically just re-sewing or reinforcing the buttons on your uniform. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Most of the time, when you get a uniform, unless you are ordering some like bespoke, custom-made, expensive thing from a tailor that was made just for you, you're getting something that came out of like, frankly, a, a modern garment factory in China. You know, even a lot of well-regarded uniform stuff it's just like mass-produced using you know modern industrial methods and that can yield a very realistic looking result one small difference that i have noticed from studying original photographs is that uh, very often original german uniform buttons and by this i mean both the the pebbled shank buttons that were the outer garment buttons and things like shirt buttons and underwear buttons and stuff they were sewn on with a heavy gauge thread that in german is called knopfzern or button thread it's like I, I don't know it's a linen or a cotton heavy duty button thread and it was used to put buttons on stuff in most cases right not not in every case because sometimes um, they just use thin garment thread or whatever now, a lot of reproductions, they will use kind of only the thin garment thread. It's probably some kind of modern machine that sews buttons on. I don't really know how it works, but um, it uses a thin thread. And that is, I don't know, to me, that is like a detail that I notice. Not necessarily when I'm looking at somebody else, but when I'm looking at my own impression, when I'm looking at the objects in my own kit and... Um, you know, like a four-hole button, the it might be sewn on using very thin button thread in two parallel lines. And when I look at four-hole buttons that are on original items, not in every case, but usually, I notice that the button is sewn on with heavy thread in the shape of an X, an X of thread going through the four button holes instead of the the two parallel lines of stitching. So something that I almost always do, I've got, I've gone to the fabric store. They have 
heavy-duty thread that's intended for, I think, for buttons. Maybe it's for, I don't know, sometimes it's like uh, upholstery thread or they have different purposes, but the look is the same. And I will just re-sew on the buttons, even if I don't replace them, even if I like the look of the buttons that are on the garment. I'll just take them off and sew them back on. And um, I think it makes it look more realistic. And also, I think a lot of the time, the buttons stay on longer if you do that. So um, that's maybe something to think about. Look at the buttons on your clothes, see if they're about to fall off, see if they're sewn on with sturdy thread or with something flimsy, and then make some changes. I think my greatcoat is actually missing a button. So shame on me. I went to an event last week and I blew a button off my greatcoat or came off while I was sleeping. And uh, How did it come off when you were sleeping? Well, I had I had only one button done on my greatcoat, one of the like the bottom the bottom button on the on the front closure, just to kind of keep it together while I was sleeping. And I think basically I kind of rolled over in such a way that um, it was putting just a lot of stress on that. Oh right. Well, yeah, I mean, or well, I don't know. Maybe I ate too much at the reenactment. I don't know. Too much Arby's prior to the reenactment. Well. I, I didn't go to Arby's on the way to the event. Maybe I should have. <laughs> that, that would have fixed it. Fixed it. It's true what you said with with the uh, buttons because um, with most uh, uniform manufacturers, uh, we find that the buttons will basically just fall off if you stare a little bit angry at the buttons. And we always recommend people to re-sew all the buttons immediately upon even receiving the garment. Unless it's from like one of those top tier expensive places. That's a good tip. Yeah, that's and the other thing is is that um if you have to buy just one button to replace a button that came off your tunic or a gray coat, it's really annoying. You know, you you're gonna buy an item that costs a dollar and, and pay um, you know, whatever, ten bucks for shipping, right? It doesn't make any sense. Uh obviously I think it's a good idea to have extra buttons on hand just in case, but you know, if you don't um, it's, it's, can be really annoying to lose one, just one. Yeah. Another zero cost way that you can improve your impression. And this would apply to basically anybody is to learn a song. Um, you know, whether it's a marching song that the soldier sang or a folk song that Germans then and now might know, or, you know, a song that might pertain to one of your interests, one of your like, uh, alter egos, interests like hunting or whatever, there's just this unbelievable um, massive amount of period German songs that people sang back then. Singing was culturally something that Germans at that time did. Um, it was something that they valued and thought was important. And, you know, even if you know a bunch of songs, it can't hurt to learn another song. And maybe you won't find a way to use that song in an event, but maybe you might. Um, at the event that we went to last week, Casey had brought a game, and I think he might have bought it from Fairlackkopf, but it was a a reproduction board game that was, um, the theme of it was like radio. It was kind of like a radio themed board game. And if you landed on certain spaces, there were acts that you had to do like a penalty or whatever. It was kind of a fun and funny game, but one of the spots, if you landed on it, you had to sing a nice song. And, so we were playing this game, and the people who were landing on Sing a Nice Song, um, they were str struggling a little bit, because there was another spot that was Sing a, a Marching Song, Sing a Military Song. So Sing a Nice Song, it's like Sing a Song that's maybe not a military song. And, you know, not everybody in my group knows a period folk song or a popular tune of the time, even though that's something that every World War II German soldier would have known you know, would have known a song, right? Like, think about even now, like, um, the song Happy Birthday to Americans or people who speak English. Like, we all know this song. And in Germany at that time, there were tons and tons of songs like that. Some children's songs, like I say, hunter songs and folk songs and hiking songs and songs for workers. Um, 
So it's definitely good to to take the time to learn something like that. And you can learn some, you can pick up some language terms that way too. You know, I'm not saying that's like a way to learn a language, but um, just find a song that you like and maybe look, look at a dictionary to find out what the words mean. And you might be like, oh, I didn't realize that was the word for that. And, and you'll remember it that way. That's actually a good way to learn a language too. I think it helps. I think it's, it's a way to learn some language terms because you have to memorize it, you know, and uh, I don't know, there's definitely words that I know specific, like types of animals or whatever that I wouldn't even know about this type of bird, right, um, at all, uh, unless I, I knew the song, but I, I memorized the song and now I know about this bird. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, a avenue for learning. One one thing on the list here that we had come up with as well um, was to take some time to learn things from original manuals like hand signals or commands. Um, there are reprints of German manuals that are available that you have to buy. There's also translations of them into English that, again, are uh, things that you can buy, and I would recommend that people do that. But there's also a lot of that information that is available for free on the internet in a variety of formats, um, whether it's just excerpts from manuals that people have posted or stuff on YouTube about it. Um, there's just a lot of primary source manual type stuff um, that you can learn and that you can even master and help other people learn, you know, without spending any money. It's definitely a a way that you can improve your impression. Yeah. Um, we have linked to the uh, place that sells translated German manuals before, germanmanuals.com, and it is recommended to pick up a few to uh, just read through them. And if, if you can work it out with guys in your unit, you know, maybe you could, you could buy one and somebody else could buy another one and uh, you guys could build a library of these manuals and, and share them so that everybody can have access to the information and not everybody has to buy all the manuals. Exactly. And what manual you would want to buy also depends on your own like specific impression. Uh, recently, I've been looking at the manuals to the uh, Czechoslovakian ZB-26 and ZB-30 machine guns. And there's just information in those manuals that is so helpful for putting together a machine gunner impression. And it's just, I mean, there's just, obviously I look at photographs and I see the different ways that people interpreted or in some cases seem to have just totally disregarded the regulation way to do things. But it's so good to have that regulation way as a starting point. It just gives you context that you can use to interpret other things that you see. Yeah. Um, I was like, I mean, if you were going to be a new guy, new reenactor and buy one of those manuals, I would rather start out like the Rybert manual, something basic that tells sure. like everything you need. Sure. Um, I guess that kind of, yeah, I agree about the Rybert. It's such a handy thing. I mean, so many, uh, things that questions I see people asking are things that are answered in this Rybert manual. Um, and the fact that it's translated into English just makes that, you know, you don't have to translate the stuff from German. If you speak English, if you're listening to this podcast and understand what I'm saying, there's a version of this book that you can read and understand. And it's just so, so much good information in there. Uh, the, the amount of information in the Rybert manual is just amazing. And there's so many things in there that every reenactor should know because it's like basic knowledge for the German soldier. And there's stuff in there that's like kind of cultural too, like etiquette and saluting and stuff, you know, like, or just how to behave, um, how German soldiers were expected to behave, how a German man is expected to behave in the 1930s and 40s. Um, you know, there's, it's so much more information than just like what, you know, what rank, what rank triangle that you wear on your arm, it corresponds to what or whatever, you know, it's, there's some deep information in there that's helpful if you want to really go far with your impression and go deep with it. I guess that brings us to our next point, which is just to dive into some historical research in general. And, you know, um, I know we've mentioned this before, at some point, we're going to be doing an episode about how exactly to do this, but just, you know, get into the documents, get into um, 
you know, the real nitty gritty, you know, the real historical research. And there's just so many different ways that you can do that, um, that can yield so much rich, vibrant information about the specific unit that you portray or the specific battle that you're going to be portraying at an upcoming event or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, and there, there's just so much information available on the internet. Nobody could ever like see it all in a lifetime. Um, something I've mentioned before is the free microfilm rolls that are from the national United States national archives. Um, there's just like that stuff's in German. So it can be tough to, to kind of translate that if, if you can't read it, but, um, but if you can read German, it's so, there's so much information there and it's so useful, you know, and it's for just a few keywords. Right. Even if you can just figure out like, okay, this is a document the headline of this document is like guidelines for training of, you know, the specific unit type or specific role that I'm trying to portray or learn about. And it's like, all right, I'm going to take the time to learn what these training guidelines were because this was what the expectations were. This is what I should know, you know, and there's um, that will just inform your impressions so much more than, um, you know, than just the superficial level stuff you know if you really do that research and find the facts you know get the information it just it makes all the difference in the world it makes so much of a bigger difference i think than who made your boots or who made your tunic you know it's like what you know that's kind of the easy part right the hard part is what was life like for these people what did they do every day you know what was their training like what specific things were they trained on how did these specific things work you know what i I could like i say i could go on and on (laughs) um and another one is just you know besides like historical research online you can read um memoirs and like reports from specific actions specific battles and um there's lots and lots of that stuff that's free online um, you know, reminiscences of veterans, German veterans or American veterans who fought against the Germans or, uh, Soviet veterans. There's a lot of this stuff that has been translated into English even and is readily available. And, um, that you can go to the library and get, read memoirs, you know, books that were written by German soldiers during or after the war, um, you know, or, or buy some and, and read them, share them with your friends borrow some books from them. There's so much rich detail in so many of these memoirs that you can apply to a reenactment impression um, that you can use to make your impression better. Uh, like there's lots of, I, I know I've seen like after action reports uh, that has been translated and it's always interesting to see like on a, like a platoon level, even like the details that goes into an after action report which oftentimes are very boring or not what you would expect, to be honest. I agree that a lot of times they're not what you would expect. You know, sometimes they're really, you know, it's like, okay, there was an action uh, where we took a lot of casualties. And you think, okay, this is going to be an account of like a bitter battle. And then it's some totally unexpected thing. Like we we ran into the enemy and um, we turned around and in their confusion uh we seem to have uh set off some landmines and a bunch of guys got killed you know or something like that it's like oh you know kind of speaking to maybe the fog of war or you know just different than what than what you would think you know something that wouldn't necessarily be how it was shown in a holiday in a hollywood movie um but that's what it is you know that's what you see in these reports a lot of the times weird stuff like that exactly and sometimes those weird details, you know, I, I, I could be something that you could almost form an event around, right? Not necessarily like, oh, geez, we set off landmines, but like you might find an after action report that says, you know, we, we got to the edge of the woods looking at the village. Uh, we took some shots. Um, you know, there was some fire. We waited for a half an hour. We advanced into the village. And when we got there, there was nobody there, you know, and that's something that you could have that you could kind of replicate in a reenactment level, you know, that's just one small example, but look, you won't know um, what kinds of stuff you might find in those, in those reports and memoirs until you look. And uh, it's just kind of a matter of your own creativity, how you can apply that stuff to your reenactment impression. 
Another thing that I think is a super uh, good way to improve your impression uh, is to learn a skill like knitting or darning. Darning is one I know we've talked about before, that it was something that people back then knew how to do. Um, and I see darning repairs very often on knit items as well as uniform stuff that was used by soldiers. But like if you could learn to knit, um, you could make your own you can make your own stuff, you know, you can make stuff for your kid, whether it's home knit socks or a scarf or something like that. Um, and there are tons of skills that you could learn for free. Just, you know, you might have to spend a little bit of money on some supplies, but just from YouTube tutorials, you can learn how to write in Sutilin, that weird script that uh, was taught in German schools until 1941. Um, you know, you could, you could just, I mean, Look, I know there are a lot of people who maybe um, are kind of lacking with some like outdoor bushcraft type skills that are really useful in reenacting, like knowing how to build a fire, knowing how to cook food over a fire, um, you know, a million things like that, that you can just learn these basic skills for free. And just having those skills in your toolbox as a reenactor is so helpful. Yeah, no, I, uh, I've used darning outside of my reenactment gear as well and it's been really helpful my girlfriend uh, really appreciates my darning skills nice it prolongs um, life of garments that you would otherwise throw away and it looks better than sewing a whole shutter or putting a patch over it and especially for like socks it is more comfortable to wear as well sure yeah I mean this stuff isn't supposed to last forever. And I still need to figure out if the Norwegian May uh, post system figures out Cyrillin. You should find that out. I would love to know. I've been meaning to send a letter to, to someone and write the address in Cyrillin. That's a great idea. Yeah, in America, it would never, it would never arrive. Right? Yeah, I know the Norwegian um, May, uh, post system, postal service has. Uh, employees who are whose only job is to read uh, handwriting that is difficult to um, to uh, read. <laughs> That's awesome! I would love to have that job. <laughs> yeah, but the question is like, can they read Cyrillin, or will that be so obscure? I like I'm not sure what to expect. So I would love to try it, and yeah, maybe I should try it really soon as well. Because I do imagine that it will at least get a week delayed at least. But if it if oh, it yeah, arrives, sure. it, it's fantastic. Totally. Um, another thing that we had that is, I think, a, a zero-cost way to improve your impression is just to take some time and go online and look at photographs of original items. Like go to a website like The Ruptured Duck or The Virtual Grenadier or um, Frederick's website right fjm44 i think it is um, yeah fjm44 i always get that confused because i think fmj44 because it's like fmj full metal jacket is like a military term that i know you know what i mean <laughs> yeah uh but anyway look it's uh fjm44 he has fantastic photos of original items uniforms equipment and just look at those photos and study it and be like all right this is what this real thing looks like this is the wear pattern that i can see looking at this thing um you know could i replicate some aspect of this here is i noticed that there is a repair right on a, a, a few of these that i've looked at and it looks like this you know i could create a repair that looks like that on my own gear to make it kind of match this original stuff just to get a feeling of the different colors of fabric that were used you know the different ways that leather was stitched the different colors of stitching that were used at the various factories and the similarities and differences between different examples of the same thing you know i think that that's um just have that really is a good thing that you can kind of add to your to your own wisdom you know just having looked at photos without you don't even have it's helpful if you can handle original stuff but you really don't have to you can learn a lot just from looking at good photographs of stuff that is definitely real um and uh and like i say it doesn't cost anything unless you're me and then you see something that you need to buy and now it's not <laughs> a big problem that's the problem with fjm44 is that you can just click add to cart at the reference photos you 
look at and you just buy the item. We're going to uh, interview him one of these days. I want to. I want to do that soon. I. I think that would be a really cool episode to. Uh, it would be very nice. Him. Yeah, I'm gonna make that happen. And the very last thing that I had as a zero cost way to improve your impression is to have fun and be yourself. Uh, you know, I just think that. Um, you know, enjoy it. That's it. That's all I have to say about that. Well, rule number one is that you gotta have fun. You gotta have fun. Um, yeah, the, most of the people that I know who have killer impressions are uh, also having a blast and doing it with their own style and grace. And some of the people that I know who are terrible farbs, they kind of hate reenacting and they have a bad attitude. And I don't really know what they're doing out there anyway. So, you know, you want to be a good reenactor? Like, you gotta love it. You know, get out there, embrace it, warts it all, and do it and have fun doing it and do it your way. Amen. All right, guys, I think that's about all the time we have. Um, so Lhasa and everybody, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. <laughs>